Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you about a terrific podcast. It's called The Vocal Fries, and it's hosted by Carrie Gillen and Megan Figueroa. They are linguists, and they talk to other linguists and assorted other people about the way we talk about each other. There are a lot of really excellent episodes on The Vocal Fries, and it's easy to find. I recommend that you just type The Vocal Fries podcast into Google, and you will find it very easily. We like this podcast a lot, and we like it so much that we're going to give you a little sample. The episode you're about to hear is from The Vocal Fries. I hope you enjoy it. And welcome to the Vocal Fries Podcast, the podcast about linguistic discrimination. I'm Megan Figueroa. And I'm Carrie Gillen. And today's episode is very exciting. We hear from Alex Darcy all about like. Yes. And um, we have included um, a poem by Melissa Lozada Oliva, who is a spoken word poet. Um, and her poem is called Like Totally Whatever. And it's the perfect um, addition to... Um, our interview with Alex. So I'm really excited. You should check the the Melissa out. She is amazing. I think everyone will love the poem. So there's a lot of exciting things um, about today's episode. I'm just really excited for everyone to hear. Yeah. And she and she uh, let us use this whole poem, her whole poem. So thank you so much, Melissa. Yeah. If she's hearing this. Um, yeah. She... <laughs> I mean, I, we should thank her even if she's not. That's true. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Put that energy out into the universe. Thanks. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And so a little bit of housekeeping before we begin. We were invited to join as a featured podcast with uh, the Potter and Love Convention in New Orleans in August. Yeah. So this will be our first ever podcast convention that we've been to. Yeah. At least I've, I've been to. No, I haven't been to a podcast conference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've always been like kind of curious but um, yeah, never, never went. So this should be fun. Yeah, and we get to go to New Orleans, so that's fun. Yes, for a second time. Yes, 
which will be a little less crazy than their first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bourbon Street was too enticing last time. <laughs> it was like not even, it was the worst part of it too, but. Yeah, I know. Oh boy. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, speaking of podcasts, uh, so I spent a lot of time at a coffee shop and one of the, the dudes that works there, I don't know if this is his way of hitting on me but i was listening to something he's like what are you always listening to when you come in here and i was like a podcast um and he's like oh so you're a nerd and I'm like, <laughs> okay listen <laughs> i didn't know podcast made you nerdy. no i mean more nerdy than anything else right i was like i'm absolutely a nerd but it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with me listening to this podcast right now <laughs> I mean, maybe it would depend on the nature of the podcast. There are certainly very nerdy ones. I mean, it was including my favorite murder. Ours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ours is very nerdy. Um, but I was listening to a murder podcast, you know. Um, <laughs> which I think is pretty yeah. mainstream these days. You don't have to be a nerd. You definitely don't have to be a nerd, yeah. no. Um, I mean, there, there's sort of a nerdy aspect to it, though, depending on why you're listening. So, you know, it's like you're really interested in the details and figuring out whether the person that's been convicted is actually guilty. You can really go down a rabbit hole. That's and true. I kind of feel like that makes you more nerdy. I tend to not be quite like that because there's just too many details to keep in my head. Yeah. Um, I'm nerdy in other ways, though. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're listening more for, I don't know, the storytelling or other aspects i think it's not quite as nerdy or the comedy it's my favorite murder yeah Yeah. yes (laughs) yeah so yeah i don't know if that's how dudes hit on people now but that was silly well he was negging oh totally negging. he was negging so yes he was hitting on you in the worst possible way yeah and then he also was like how are you always here don't you have a job and i was like oh i'm sorry i just finished my phd (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah also some people work in coffee shops yeah exactly you know what i mean yeah yeah my uh telling people i have a phd is not something that um i just throw out at people unless they're negging me or being a dick <laughs> yeah so. unless it needs to come out yes <laughs> yeah so, yeah, you wanted to talk about Mr. Uh, racist Lawyer in New York. Yeah, I mean, I just, I have a feeling everyone's seen this. Uh, like, at least if you haven't seen, like, the, I actually didn't listen to the clip of him being an asshole because I don't need to. Oh, excuse me, the clip? The, is there multiple? <laughs> there are multiple clips of him being an asshole. Oh, but the 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 one in the the original one, or the one that got people talking. Yeah, the yes. one in the restaurant where he says that he's going to call ICE right on these Latinas working in the restaurant. Um, yeah, so I didn't listen to any of the clips because uh, I you, you you should actually because yeah. it's a, it's an interesting case of him for just being. So first of all, he gets upset that they're speaking Spanish. Goes on a rant about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they kind of laugh at him and like tell him to stop being an asshole. Mm-hmm. Not so not in those words, but you right. know. And then he so he gets madder. And then he says, "Okay, I'm gonna call ICE." And they are they're like, "Okay, call ICE," because obviously if they're working, they they're they probably have a work permit and, or at the very least, right, if right. not being citizens. Right. So they laugh, and he realizes that's not gonna work. Because they weren't scared. Mm-hmm. So then 
he starts throwing like fat shit at them like Uh, stop eating that you shouldn't eat that sandwich you don't need it oh my god it was amazing because it's like so horrible in all these different ways but it was also kind of like yeah you're telling on yourself like look at you look at who you are oh yeah like this i think i just wanted to like talk about it because it's overt linguistic discrimination right so this is like the example of what we're talking about don't be an asshole um this guy is beyond that but the worst part about it or you know this is unsurprising to me he speaks spanish himself supposedly anyway yes he claims to on his website yeah but that's just that's when you like Okay, so if you speak the language, then you know it's about the person. You know it's a proxy for something else. Like like what we're trying to say in this podcast, right? So yeah, it's just so overt, so disgusting. Um, yeah, and so it also kind of play, plays into this idea that when we say you're judging someone for the way that they speak, you're actually judging the person, like yeah, you said. Yeah, exactly. But like, so in this case, it's I'm judging you for speaking Spanish because I think Spanish speakers maybe native Spanish speakers mm-hmm. are um, are all immigrants and all therefore illegal immigrants. Right. Quote, unquote. Yeah. And then there's something similar happened to us on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Where a guy said something overtly sexist. Mm-hmm. I called him out on it. And then what did he do? He behaved so horribly to us, mm-hmm. especially to me. Yeah. But... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so he doubled down on his misogyny. So this guy doubled down on his racism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's what that's what they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only so this is why you need to treat linguistic discrimination more seriously because it is telling you who they are as a person. Yeah, exactly. No, it's serious stuff, and um, it just uh, shows everyone how important we are. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I started a poll on Twitter asking uh, linguistic discrimination is, and then three choices of like basically it's the worst, it's terrible, whatever. And everyone agreed it's the worst. So I think that our <laughs> listeners know. Uh, <laughs> okay, to be fair, you did not put an option in there where it's not the worst. <laughs> so it's not exactly. I mean, I put one where I said it's, like, really uncool. So that's, like, a level down <laughs> of the worst. <laughs> so. <laughs> Just not a scientific pause, all I'm saying. <laughs> no. I never claimed to be a scientist. Just kidding. Yes, you do. I know, I know. I know. I'm a scientist. <laughs> anyway. All right. So. Okay. Yeah. So hopefully you'll enjoy listening to all the many likes. <laughs> yes, and enjoy the beautiful, amazing um, poem at the end. Okay, so our guest today is Dr. Alex Darcy from the University of Victoria. She's an associate professor and the director of the Sociolinguistics Research Lab in the Department of Linguistics. She studies language variation and change, linguistic heterogeneity, and varieties of English. And also, I saw on one of your websites that your goal is to teach your students about language ideology. So um, welcome, Alex. Thanks very much. It's fun to be here. (laughs) I love that because obviously that's what we're trying to do too, is teach everybody, hey, (laughs) 
There's an ideology behind what we're doing. Yeah. Oh, and also, uh, Alex wrote a whole book on like. Yes. And and there's so many amazing things that we could talk to you about. Um, but we are having you here to talk about like. Yes. Our, all of our favorite word. Yeah. It's least my. <laughs> Everybody's, yeah, or favorite words. Uh. Yes. Actually, yes. technically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, favorite words. Yes, we'll get into that. <laughs> of course, I we're so lucky to have you here. And it was kind of prompted by this amazing thing that happened. I don't know. I would say that this would be the most amazing thing that happened to me in my life. <laughs> but you were... <laughs> An answer or a question. I always forget how that works. An answer or a question on Jeopardy. I know. I was a clue. Which, a clue. Mm, yeah. Which is bonkers because if you uh, if you think about <laughs> all of your life's goals and dreams, being a clue yeah. on Jeopardy is so far in left field that it doesn't even make the list. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, it does now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird and wonderful and funny and bizarre. And I think about one in a million. Right? It's yeah. Just, yeah. They Absolutely. clearly have researchers who are looking for obscure publications. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and maybe also a linguist, I'm wondering. Yeah, could be. I mean, they ha- it was in a linguistics category, right? And what are the chances of that? Yes. Right. So I think they have yeah. a linguist on there now. Yeah, they must That's my guess. guess. <laughs> yeah. Do you like uh, put that on a CD? On a re- <laughs> what do you do with that? <laughs> you just enjoy it, putting in your mental, um, you know box and <laughs> just it's awesome water later. cooler talk it's kind of fun yes. <laughs> uh, it's what everybody opens with when they see me on campus right now so that's kind of fun and uh yeah it's on my cv and it's there <laughs> yeah. because actually it was the associate vice president research operations who said to me it better be on your cv and it better be on your end of your report because it's knowledge mobilization and outreach yeah. That's true. So I thought Awesome. I'm going for it. <laughs> I love as it. As you should. As you should. <laughs> you have a, a really good um you'd be so good now at two truths and a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the lie would have to be so out there. I know. It would have to be totally yes. outrageous. I know. Yeah. Uh Carrie, what is you have the clue right there, right? Just yes. read it for the listeners. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Alexandra Darcy wrote a book on this word, as in, I'm like totally mad because Kim was all like, why can't I date Kevin? <laughs> I like how you had to perform it. See, but that I was know. the thing. The question was such a setup. And yeah, this yeah. is why I just find it funny because I can take, I can have no ego in this because to answer mm-hmm. that question, to answer that, you didn't have to know me and you didn't have to know the book. There was so much context in the question. And even Alex, who tries to be very sort of monotone and uninvested when he asked the questions, even he was getting a bit of the performativity going. So it was, and Kim and Kevin, which, (laughs) I mean, that's a good point. (laughs) Yep. Super, super, uh, those names are just associated with certain kinds of personas anyway. It's true. Right? So yeah, I can't I can't be smug about it. I just think they have a good researcher who thought this would be a fun question. And and there you go. And I didn't know. And I was sitting in my office working away as one does, and all of a sudden my phone started buzzing because my Twitter feed was going off and then my Facebook oh, yeah. feed started going off and that's how I found out. 
That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what are the chances? Exactly. Yeah. But it did lead to an awesome case. I, I would say the most epic case of mansplaining I've seen in a while. Ooh. Because of course UVic picked it up and it, it hit the it hit the various UVic media platforms. And all of a sudden I get an email. I can't even remember what the title was. <laughs> and there's so many things in this that fit into so many tropes. So first off, it's a man. Of course, it's a white man. <laughs> then, of course, it's an old man because he tells me that mm -hmm. he's a retired professor here at UVic. Mm. I won't give you a oh. department. I and then he starts his email by saying, I didn't know there was a whole book devoted to like. I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by that. I haven't read your book, but... And then he proceeds to tell me about how you can tell if something is meaningless noise, as though this is a real linguistic methodology, and then proceeds to give me some example sentences with like in them, and spells oh, out, it's, very, it's a very long email, and he tells me what the speaker intended to say, but what the speaker actually said by using like in those ways. It was a genius email. And then it finishes. There's this little sort of off the cuff. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. And, <laughs> no. then, and then he signs off. And the best part, too, is that he spelled my name wrong the whole way through. Oh. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> no. Wow. That's perfect. Like, it, it's almost, it almost feels fake because it's just too, it hits all the notes. Like you said, it's, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I do have to tell you his department. He's a physicist. Oh, of course he is. I was going to guess that. <laughs> I, I, have, I have a, yeah, opinion about physicists that they're the most arrogant about other fields. Well, it's, it's a meme for a reason. Anyways, I haven't responded to the email because I'm not too sure if it's worth my time. And I'm really trying. Nah. Not, I don't want to be snippy. But what's so infuriating about it is that it's written in this really, as all mansplaining is, in this super conversational, let's just chit chat, but he ends up presenting himself as an expert. Right. And exactly. I'm not going to say I'm an expert, <laughs> but I actually know more than he does. Right. Well, you're an expert about this. I mean, come on. <laughs> I, I mean, I wrote a book, but he, <laughs> but he explicitly <laughs> told me he hadn't read it. And he'd like to know your thoughts, though. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You should just be like... They're in I my know. book. They're in the book. I should just send them the link to the Google. The yes, Google you should. You should. Yes. It's it's almost yes. as if like one of your friends was like, here's a really like dick move. Let's troll her and send this email. <laughs> See, they, someone's punking me, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's what it feels like, yeah. but I know it's not. I know that's real because it happens yeah. all the time. So... Uh, this is not nearly on the same level at all, but someone posted something about the word fuck, and um, we're friends. We've been friends since high school, and so I responded to him. And then the, the guy underneath me said something about how, well, fuck used to be way more vulgar, and used to be really, like, like hard, uh, very few people would say it in comparison to now, which is true. And I said, but actually, originally, it was less vulgar. So it went through this, like, 
parabola. <laughs> and, he, and he just like copy and pasted the OED as if that was like some sort of explanation for what he had said. And anyway, I was just like, this is... Yeah. Why? Yeah, why? why <laughs> I know. Well, which is all caught up in that that whole ideology. There we go. Ideologies about some mm. ab- about the dictionary as the expert. Yes. I wonder right. um, if this if the mansplaining in this case and other cases where it's words like like or vocal fry we get mansplaining of vocal fry too. A if it's lot. something that's a, that seems like has long been associated with women um, mm-hmm. or any other marginalized group, if it if the mansplaining is I mean, it feels worse, but I wonder if it actually is somehow worse. Like, if they take an authoritative stance on it more. Yeah, I mean, well, this is going to seem tangential, but I'm going to come back to that. I mean, one of the reasons why I was really, really hesitant about working on like in the first place, so back in my PhD, Mm -hmm. was that like has these very clear associations. Mm -hmm. And here I was, a, a young woman with aspirations and I was terrified about taking on a word that was that ran the potential of attaching those ideologies to me yeah right right yeah and so I think there is this sense with these forms that are very much associated forms practices that that are associated with women when especially when men don't take ownership of the fact that it doesn't matter what your gender is, right? Or what, it, like, none of that is relevant mm-hmm. in the use of these forms, right? right? But when they have those ideologies, they don't take ownership. And so then, you know, there's this sense of, well, sure, let me explain to you what's really going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <Right>? exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely true. I yeah. And maybe because I'm trying to reclaim these things for myself, um, as a woman, that I get more frustrated when I hear about mansplaining with these particular forms. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what's so interesting is, I mean, I love, I say all the time, I love like, mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's incredibly useful in all of its uses. I think it allows us to do really complex and deeply meaningful things, both on a linguistic level and on a social level. It's useful linguistically and socially. I use it all the time, all the time, but I've been called out on not using it when I'm teaching, mm. including when I'm teaching about it. Interesting. Right? But it is this heavily stylized form, yeah. and it's very register-based. Mm-hmm. And so when people say to me, do you tell girls to stop using it? No, mm-hmm. I don't tell anyone to stop using anything. I, I don't think there's a linguist who does. But I do explain that there are places where it fits in more seamlessly right. than in others. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and and that's that's something that has nothing to do with gender. Right. But as a woman who uses it, you're going to get nailed a lot harder. Yeah. If you use it in those places where it fits less comfortably. Right. Uh, earlier you said, um, after I said that, like, it's our favorite word, that it's mm-hmm. actually words. So what did you mean by that? I'm trying to get at the fact that there's not just one like, because I think this is part of the problem with the ideology, that we assume that all of those likes that are out there are the same like. And so even when people are using it in ways that may be perfectly grammatical, that 
are not associated with those more stigmatized ones. Uh, they all tend to get lumped together in in popular perception. And so then that compounds this perception that it's being overused and that it's used too much and that it's used by certain groups, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if, if verb unremarkable, noun unremarkable, complementizer unremarkable. It has some fairly unremarkable adverbial functions. There's an adjective, although you don't hear it that often, right? I mean, so there's all these um, very, very uh, normalized forms. Oh yeah, there's also the conjunction. Some varieties of English have it as a modal verb, apart from a lexical verb. So there's all of those different layers and uses. And then on top of those, we tack some of those things that feel more recent, this is when it's useful to have visual, right? Because I'm going feel in scare quotes. They feel recent. <laughs> and so few of them really are, right? So you look at something like um, the approximative adverb, not new. Uh, the sentence adverb, it's at the end. It's the one that we associate with Irish English, but it's certainly not restricted there where it is a, it's a sentence adverb that you can gloss as it were. Then you get into the sentence marker, the discourse marker, which is at the beginning of a sentence, and it bridges sentences and clauses together. And then you get the particle where it's inside the sentence and feels like it doesn't mean anything, but of course it does. <laughs> and and now and then um, and now you're starting to get an epistemic parenthetical, right? I feel like, oh yeah, right, where it's you're not actually feeling something, but you're describing a, a set of beliefs. It's marking your position to something. And then of course there's the quotative and now there's an infix, right? So you, you can get, I can't do it. It's not part, it's, it's too new for me. This one's genuinely new, but younger speakers can say things unlike believable. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. She's unlike sympathetic, right? You see, it's, to- of course it's totally yeah. okay. Right? It's <laughs> I just, love it. It's, but right. But there's all those layers. And I guess I left out to the, the complementizer in there. Anyway, so there's, there's all of these different layers and some of them are in fact related etymologically, but they've developed into these new functions. So you can't say that they're all just the same thing. Right. They, they, they occupy different parts of speech. They entered at different times. They do different jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a, there's a, there's a ton of like out there. Okay. <laughs> There's a ton of like. When, <laughs> There's a ton of like. <laughs> when is the the earliest like? When did the earliest like enter English? Uh, old English. Yeah. The verb and the adjective come from old English, okay. and then you just and, and then starting around the year 1200, you just get this consecutive layering. So new forms just very very regularly start coming in. So I've, I've seen claims that, that, that the early modern period in particular, so 1800 to, to now, has, has been this super active time for the proliferation of like. Well, it only looks that way if you look at the last 200 years. If you zoom out and you look at Old English mm-hmm. to now, there's nothing unusual about the last 200 right. years. It's just that that's where you get mo- most of those more sort of discoursey ones. Right. Oh, you you know, that reminds me because I was doing some Googling of the word like before uh, we were talking to right. you. And I read something annoying, obviously, that said it's a, an, a like epidemic. So it must go back to that idea yeah. of like they think it's this last 200 years that there's all these new likes. Right. That that must be yeah. what it's. Yeah. What they're thinking what it's yeah yeah, yeah. although it, you know if you think about it oh, i love it a like epidemic 
Gorgeous. Um, gorgeous for all the wrong reasons. But that one, I'm sure they're talking about uh, the quotative and the particle. Yeah. Yeah. Because those are the ones we react most. Yeah. What's, like, we just Vis- we have this yeah. visceral reaction. And, and when I say we, I mean... Right. Of the course, pub, pu- the public writ large, right? Not, not, not us, actually. Right. No, right. no. I'm like society. Oh, uh, some. I just said like. <laughs> when I hear someone say like, I'm like, oh, kindred spirit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, and it, along with the like epidemic that the Google results brought me, it was all of these like Business Insider <laughs> company articles that are like, uh, oh yeah, women. Here's an article for you. Here are the words that you should stop using so much yep once again gendered <laughs> yeah because yeah because it's a women's problem right. instead of instead of it's just the way language works right. you know i i actually just recently described like as as in fact having a superpower and, mm-hmm. and that superpower is the fact that it can fill all of these different jobs that's I mean, beautiful i, I can't I think of it. another word in english that can do that does as many jobs as like does that's true what about fuck Still doesn't do as many. Yeah. It does a lot. What's the, what's the buffalo sentence? Lot. Buffalo, 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 buffalo. But but that's. I mean, you have to create. That's just two, right? Yeah, you have to create. Yeah, yeah. Sort of bizarre and specialized circumstances to to yeah. to get yeah, that yeah. right. Whereas yeah. this is just because so many of them are so embedded in the grammar, right? It's yeah, true. yeah. Yeah, and also like can be used in more situations than fuck because sometimes you don't want to use fuck in polite company, quote unquote polite company. And you can always use like, even if it's just the verb or the Mm -hmm. noun or whatever, Mm -hmm. the more, the safer. The safer ones. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, the complimentizer, no problem. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love, that's, but like is a beautiful word. we, We should respect it. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. <laughs> we should. Well, but I have already, I mean, I already liked it before. Yeah. <laughs> I have come to respect it even more in the last like two yeah. minutes. I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, it is. But um, actually, the problem isn't like, right? The problem is not respecting like. The problem is respecting right, the right. people who use like. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So that brings us to the gender question. So why, yeah. why yeah. is it in our minds that it's a gender thing rather than a, just a language thing? You give me one feature of language that people think is new, that people don't hate or feel irked by, that they don't blame on women. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. yeah. Right? I, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a real thing. We know that's a real thing. The other piece with like is that we've, we've been playing the long con on ourselves that like is valley girl yeah and and well clueless i I can't even i no it's older than really when i was when i was a kid and you know i'm in my 40s so when i was a kid this pre-clueless my parents told me you have to stop saying like so much 
But do they associate it with Valley mm-hmm. Girl? I think so. Oh. Yeah, oh. I mean, well, th- I mean, even think back. So the original Valley Girl, right? I mean, Clueless is not the original Valley Girl. The original Valley Girl was a totally different social construct. And but think back. Remember the movie? Is it, is it actually called Valley Girl with Nicolas Cage? I don't know Plays. that one. The lo- oh, from the eighties. <laughs> you have to watch it. Early days of Nick Cage, and he <laughs> he is dating one of the Valley Girls. He's not from the Valley. He's not part of the crew. He's an outsider, and he and his girlfriend get into a fight. And he decided to ad lib a line, and it's actually my favorite line from the movie because he stands outside her door and and says, "Like fuck you for sure." <laughs> And so you get this perfect little, you know, microcosm of the ideology of, of Valley Girl in, in one Aww. utterance. And it's not in the script. He completely ad-libbed it. I love it. Um, but but <laughs> they're definitely a group who had, like, in the repertoire. Yeah. And when I say that, the, the caution here is actually every group had it in the repertoire at that time yeah. but it was this resource that was available for identity creation and signaling mm-hmm. and they definitely used it but i mean the beats used it too mm-hmm. right if you go back even further scooby-doo is based originally on a beat character uh, from a tv show that was then he then the character was sort of modified and turned into the surfer dude and, and so then you get shaggy wow i didn't know that right <laughs> i love it not until we walk around this ghost town and see what we can find. Like I know what we'll find. What? Ghosts. Yeah, and so yeah. Sh- and Shaggy uses like, and he uses the discourse marker. The initial one, that's the only place he ever uses it. Discourse marker, why? It was a beat feature. So it was carryover, but then it became associated with these other groups. And that, we've we've clung to that in North America, right? That... That belief doesn't extend beyond North America. Valley Girl is a meaningless categorization. Yeah. For the most part, right? right? Outside of here. I actually remember talking about that once in in New Zealand, and people thought I was talking about a a valley on the North Island of New Zealand. Right. Interesting. And they didn't understand the reference, right? But um, but there's but so for North America, that female thing is 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 associated with that for very real sort of cultural reasons. But I think elsewhere it's associated with women because it's something that we don't like. And if you think that it's meaningless and vacuous, mm-hmm. that's something that goes with the teenage girl yep. profile anyways. Not in a real way, but in an ideological way. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. Yes. <laughs> because it's it's not real. It's just not real. And I mean, we know that probabilistically the quoted of sure women tend to use that more mm. than, you know, other things being equal than their male peers. That's one form. Right. Right. Same thing. So the marker, it's actually tends to be used a little bit more by women. But one of the things that I found when I started looking at like as a particle inside the sentence, so with with nouns, with uh, with verbs, with adjectives. It's actually used probabilistically more by men. Wow, that's good to know. And look, I'm I'm su- I'm surprised by that, and I'm like, dang it, Megan, why are you surprised? <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you're playing into the whole stereotype. Yeah, I mean, men can mm-hmm. lead changes. Here's one of them. Interesting, right? Yeah. It's not a huge margin, but it's there and it's real. Mm-hmm. And we don't notice it in men because, once again, we're not trained to pick on men. 
No. 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 Like, I was just thinking, I was like, Shaggy? I mean, I guess I remember him talking like that. But see, it's the same with um, Chris Traeger in Parks and Rec when he says literally all the time, um, I'm not bothered by it, but if it were a woman, I might be just because of how I'm conditioned. Yeah. Or how I've been conditioned. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, our antenna are up, right? It's it's perception bias. You start to think that, well, this is how it is. And so you notice it more on one hand and you notice it less on the other. Exactly the same with vocal fry. We only notice it in women, even though Mm -hmm. men use it Mm -hmm. almost as much. Yeah. Almost as much. Though I will tell you, you know, I have become really distracted during office hours if I have a a, a, a student who identifies as, as as man in my office and he's super creaky. I sometimes get really distracted because I'm I'm focused in on all that. Creak. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow. I, there are certain yeah. male speakers that I'm just like all I can hear is the creak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then I hear myself do like, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have it, too. Yeah, Not yeah. as much as some other yeah. people, but I definitely use it. Whoa. Did, were you talking about me? <laughs> well, you definitely use it a lot. But you're not the only speaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But I mean, my son is an awesome like user. He has he just has the most fantastic uh, uh, grammar of like. He always has. He can do things I can't do. So it's really fun to, to listen to him and and listen to his friends and see how they're using it. Cool. Because they're the next wave. Mm-hmm. You know, they just it just keeps pushing forward. So what's what's coming next? So right. would you say that the like and fix is the latest one to enter? Yeah. 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 I love it. I love the like and fix. Yeah, it's it's useful. It's fun. Yeah. And, and it was actually one of my um, RAs who found it first really? in my data. Well, because I say to them, if you're transcribing and you hear something cool, send me an email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I get this email full of exclamation marks and you won't believe it. And here's the sound clip. And cool. Yes, that was really awesome. So then I started paying attention for it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to do that now because I haven't there. heard it in a while. I don't think. But now I want to. Oh, listen. I know. Yeah. Put put your antenna yep. up. You're going to hear yep. it. Yeah. Oh, I will. I'll probably hear it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. There's another one that a colleague of mine told me that she gets from her child uh, and this person is now, I think, in their early 20s. And so my colleague keeps telling me that their child will start a sentence in a conversation, like ver- line initial, turn initial, like. Oh. And I haven't caught that one yet. That, that's kind of like so then. Yeah. Oh. Yes. But I, I don't think it's exactly like so. Probably not, because otherwise, why even have it? Right. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, so I haven't caught it, so listen for that one, too, okay. because I've been told that it exists. I'm sure it does, but I don't think I've heard it either, or at least I didn't notice it, which is actually probably more prob- probable. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which I wouldn't predict you could get. I wouldn't expect it. Hmm. And was the, the like and fix, was that um, the clip from Can- a Canadian speaker? I mean, a Canadian yes. English speaker? Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's part of the Victoria English archive. Okay. But then um someone was someone was posting just randomly on Twitter one day about a conversation overheard in in um the UK. Mm. And it had an infix in it. Cool. So I don't like I don't think these things are regional, right? I don't they have nothing to do with region. That's the other thing. We want to we think we think that like is American. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, how how did like how did anything get anywhere? And so, really, I when I looked at the evidence for this, I was I was looking at UK varieties of English, 
and what I'm going to call settler colonial varieties, mm-hmm. right? So Canada, US, Australia, and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So those are the ones I had my eye on. They're they're all in my mind, united by the fact that they were characterized by a very particular kind of colonialism. Mm. It's distinct from what you would see, say, in India or Singapore, mm-hmm. where there was no interaction with local indigenous peoples, right? Mm-hmm. So that what you get in these places is, in fact, the you know this continuous evolution of what came with the original settlers. Right. Right. So in that case, the fact that you have like doing all the same jobs in all of these places is not because everybody's sitting watching Valley Girls on movies. Right. Which is what people like to say. Right. Right. That's that's the leading popular hypothesis, which is completely bogus. Yeah. It's because it was already there. The roots were there already. Yeah. And it's very clear that the sentence final adverb was there at the time of settlement. Right. The discourse marker was there at the time of settlement. Right. Right? So you just get these continuing things that are forming and developing in the language. I mean, I totally played into it. I was like clueless. But I'm American, so I always think that America is the first and last to do anything. You know how us Americans are? There's also the kind of the opposite feeling that like, oh, Americans are ruining the English language. So yes, <laughs> I think that plays into yeah, this so, as well. I mean, yeah, it does. Damn those Americans. They gave us like, oh, no, they didn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, but blame those British ancestors you're so proud of. Yeah, yeah. exactly. No, Amer- right? Americans are ruining yeah. a lot of things, but not the English language. <laughs> no, the English language. Possibly democracy, no. but. Um. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, and and I, I mean, I've played into that too. I mean, I, I've 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 written that be like was probably American, the quotative, and now I'm convinced it it's not. That's interesting. I I mean, I had no feelings one way or the other about the quotative because I've never studied this, <laughs> but that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, the claim is there in the literature, and and I've built that argument, you know, in that 2007 paper in American Speech where I talk about the ideology of like, I put together an argument why I thought that we could sustain the argument that perhaps it was, that it had originated in the U.S. Uh, and now I, I know I'm wrong. I was wrong. All of us who said that, I'm convinced, were wrong. So do you see it like an older a text or something? Or why do you think it's wrong? I think it's wrong because the roots of be like, and this is this is this is something I've I've just recently written up. The roots of be like are in be as a quotative verb and like as a discourse marker. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. It, you've been able to put like in front of quotes for a very long time where it where it meant exactly what the discourse marker meant. It meant, for example, uh, let, let me clear, let me clarify, right, okay. right? Let me illustrate what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It could go in that slot for a really long time. Usually it happened with say, because say was the default verb for quotation. We know that now. B, so it, it had to find its way, right? Like first say had to become less, less frequent. And then like starts to proliferate. Okay. Occurring with different verbs. And when you first get be and like together, so if you think back, the first articles about be like wrote it be plus like mm-hmm. they were so right. We we needed to pay more attention to that. <laughs> it was it was bang on. It was the verb be as a quotative, mm-hmm. 
and like as a discourse marker. Okay. So for the, the listeners, the be like is something like, right? So he'd be like, why are you doing that? Yeah. Right. So yeah. just in case. Yeah. Yeah. Or I just, yeah. I'm like. I, I'm like, it's the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Is it mostly right? in the contract, like contraction? Do you think? You it, get it, yeah, it's contracted a lot. Yeah. 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 Well, because, because bees. you get it. Bees contracted a yeah. lot anyway. And then, and then the place where it really likes, so it happens a lot in stories, right? And that's where you also get a lot of historical present. So it has this historical present. So, so it has a present form, right? Mm. So it's just, so instead of I am, you just I'm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, she, they, you just contract it. Yeah, but the beat, the full be like is kind of cool too, right? Because yeah. now that that's becoming its own thing, right? I wonder if we see it in other uh, people that have uh, certain dialects. If if you've noticed mm-hmm. anything, because I, I feel like I've noticed it more in certain speakers, and I don't know what I was picking up on. But I feel like if you say he, he would be like, it's certain speakers, and I I don't know if you've noticed anything. So you mean like the conditional? Um, I don't know. I don't know what I, uh, what I'm noticing. Is it like Southern English? Am I like, I don't know what I'm picking up on at all. I don't know what you are either. So now I'm going to have to listen for it. I mean, one of the things that's definitely part of what's going on with, with English quotation anyway, is that it used to be really, really restricted in terms of, uh, tense and temporal reference and aspect. Mm Mm-hmm. You didn't you didn't get a lot of fancy stuff going on in quotation, right? Mm-hmm. You got you got simple present and you got simple past. Okay. Yeah. And you got the odd historical present, right? So you're using present temp- present morphology, but you're referring to something in the past. A- across the 20th century more and more and more, all of a sudden, you're getting all kinds of things. So you're getting futures, you're getting future in the past, you're getting conditionals, you're getting all kinds of, you're getting progressives. There's now historical present with a progressive, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's new. So maybe what you're picking up on is that younger speakers have a wider range of the ways in which they can use verbs generally. And since they tend to use be like, you're hearing m- more forms of it. You know what I'm actually thinking? You're right. And I'm just like, I say these things, so I'm like, this is what I'm trying to get at. I'm like, I say yeah. he could be like, or he would be like, or he will be like. I have that. Yeah. So yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah. And now, yeah. Because all there's all that irrealist stuff going right. on, right? You get lots of hypothetical quotation, and that's new too. Yeah. Right? It used to be if it got said or thought. Actually, you hardly ever quoted what you thought. But it used to be that if it got said, you could report it. Right. But now you can go through this whole range of things. That could happen, right? Mm-hmm. If if he did blah, I'd be like, mm-hmm. no, you can't do that, right? Yep. The, that didn't used to be productive for English speakers as as a vernacular practice. I think these things probably happen in writing a lot, but they never they didn't really happen in speech. Mm. Oh, that's this is so exciting. I I, <laughs> <laughs> I hope that the listeners are hearing this and are are thinking something like, um, wow. Look at the range of this word that maybe I didn't like before, or these words <laughs> that I didn't like before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I say I call it. I I use word too. I use singular, but mm-hmm. in my mind, I know that 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 I'm actually spelling it like with capital letters because yeah. it it's this it's it's like a it's one thing that represents a whole bunch of different things, but they all just sound the same, and so 
it's easy just to call them like. But but I do think it's a bunch of different likes. Yeah, yeah I think I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like like love the likes. Love the likes. Love the likes. <laughs> we need a t shirt. Yes. <laughs> wow. Mm. No, I, I'm. I really am reflecting on how uh, inspiring I found this conversation. <laughs> because as I'm talking to you and trying to like formulate responses or whatever, I mm-hmm. am noticing how I say like so much, and I knew I did. <laughs> I noticed but... it a lot because when because I, I um, try to create transcripts for <laughs> for our episodes. <gasps> And I, I take out most of the likes, not because I think they're bad, but just because it's harder to read than it is to hear, I think. Yeah. It's, like, more disruptive. Anyway, so, yeah, I noticed that we both use it, but I think you use it more than I do. <laughs> Which I I was taught to take them out of my speech when I was, like, 10, so. I was never told that. Well, that's good. I mean, maybe my English teachers and my writing, but never the way I spoke. Mm. Yeah, and if anyone's going to criticize the way I speak now, they usually hone in on the vocal fry so (laughs) (laughs) that seems to like just be the one that people i don't know it trumps all other ones like you may say like and um a lot but your vocal fry is really grating yeah (laughs) yeah no yeah no no it's not grating (laughs) well thank you (laughs) it's beautiful oh Wow. I just feel like this is a therapy session for Megan. <laughs> it should be a therapy session for anyone who's ever been criticized yes. for their likes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 It's it's not it's not a no. bad form. It's not meaningless. It's not vacuous. I mean, when you use it in the, the problem one is the one inside yeah. the phrase, right? That's one. Uh, I was like right. jumping up and down. Give it to like the man over there, right? That the, those likes are the ones that we have real problems with for for some reason, and I think it's because there's no straightforward way in which to to, to gloss them right. or translate them, right? I mean, if I you put like at the beginning of a sentence, you you've both done it a number of times during this during our conversation. I'm sure I have too. And if you step back from those, you can say, oh, well, that one meant, right. for example, and oh, that one meant, oh, she's clarifying right. now. I mean, you can, you can, that's yeah. what I mean by translating it, right? The one inside a sentence, you can't do it in that straightforward right. way, right? But it's still incredibly useful because it allows us, so I guess as a linguist, we would call it focus. As a non-linguist, I would just say it helps you put attention on certain parts of the sentence. This is like the fact that, that she's like jumping up and down. Like, right. It focuses on the jumping, right? And you, you really get an image from that. Um, but it also helps you mitigate authority. So you don't want to sound like you're you're being a know-it-all or a right. jackass, right? Yes. Or, or, or correcting somebody. And then it also helps you build solidarity because we're having a friendly mm-hmm. conversation here. And we want the listeners to feel that they're involved in the conversation and that we're not having this highfalutin, <laughs> stiff, yeah, uh, you know, erudite conversation <laughs> that not right. everybody's meant to be an in right. to, you know, I mean, and so there's lots that's going on with like, and but you can't say, oh, well, she used it that time because she wanted me to. Like right, her. right, right, right. You can't do that. So so it, it therefore it, it has it, it's problematic because then this is the one of the ones I got mansplained on, right? If you can take it out of the sentence and it doesn't <gasps> change the meaning, then it's no! vacuous. And you sh- you would be better off leaving it no. out. 
Well, it's actually, kind of like, well, sorry, actually. Go on, go on. No, no. <laughs> and no, I was going to say, well, <laughs> actually, if I can take you out of the conversation, then maybe you're vacuous, <laughs> man. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah no but i but that's that's an interesting one too because that puts all of this priority on the meaning that you get from the from just from the words and ignores the fact that that is so little of the meaning in an interactive context that there there's so much meaning that comes from all of the other things right right Mm -hmm. Right. gesture pitch rate Mm -hmm. intonation Mm -hmm. All those discourse markers, they, they creak, non-creak, whisper, right? You go in and out of modal for different reasons. Like all of those things add layers of meaning that are not captured in the right. words themselves. So that's the real problem mm-hmm. with that one because people can't assign a word meaning right. to it. But that doesn't mean it's meaningless. Right. Right. And and all of those things that it's doing, I mean, why wouldn't you want to be more like th- so friendly or... He's a know, physicist. Remember that. He doesn't want to be more friendly. <laughs> I mean, even Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's trying to be friendly, still isn't all that friendly. Oh, that's true. I forgot about his little linguistic uh, gems on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, well, I laugh because when I, I put it on Facebook and Adam Shambri came on and he said, well, I've dropped things before. I should tell him about my theories of gravity. <laughs> Yes. Love that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope there are physicists oh, yeah. listening so they can learn not to do this anymore. <laughs> or yeah. they'll be like, we are yeah, no longer well, listening. <laughs> we're no longer it's okay. listening. Yeah. It's okay. I, I just, I really, it's so dangerous, right? I, there, I do think it is because everybody talks yep. that they feel that yep. they've become an expert on language. And because everybody talks in social context, they think they understand the meanings right. that are happening when they're speaking, right? And, and unfortunately, uh, n- because, because talking right. is so quotidian, mm-hmm. right? Not only do we talk constantly whether you know whether we're doing it uh, verbally or signing w- communication is built on these language systems right and so they become so quotidian uh, and we have so much talk about talk that i i do i mean i know i'm not the first one to say this i know i'm not saying anything novel here but i really do think that that's part of what's going on whereas we all walk on the ground every day <laughs> Or, you know, or or mobile on the ground in some way, and don't spend a lot of time reflecting on the fact that we're not floating right. off the ground. No, it's true. Yeah, it's the same reason why it's it's kind of in a, in some ways it's easier to engage students because we're like, look, this is something that you do, and they like um, kind of want to talk about how they talk. It's it's very mm-hmm. exciting for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I guess that's the the flip side of it is that a lot of people think that they know. Yeah. everything about language in the same yeah yeah or that what's true for them is a universal truth yes right. that's very common uh, very very common the, that's that's what babies think <laughs> like, let's, let's just i go wish that, that were true stage. but it's grown-ass adults yeah. <laughs> think that their their experience is universal yeah and it's hard to beat i mean i teach a third year um introductory socio class and 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 
ideology ties everything together, right? I mean, I, for every topic that I do, whether we're talking about language planning or gender, but we're bringing ideology into it because that's the one thing that unites all of these things. And But I do spend a good chunk of time talking to them about the way that we judge people automatically mm-hmm. in most cases as soon as we hear mm-hmm. them talk or or whatever the case may be. And and so we go through this whole thing and I'm, I'm like, you got these are social judgments, these are not linguistic judgments. Let's talk about all of these linguistic judgments and let's talk about the fact that if you understand it, then it's clearly a functioning grammatical system. Yada yada yada. Right? And then at the end of the whole thing, I actually do a, a sort of a modified match guys and I play three voices for them and I have them rate the voices on how funny do you think this person is? How intelligent mm. do you think this person is? And how how mm. kind do you think this person is? And we've literally just finished two weeks of talking about ideology and how we judge people for the way that they speak. I give them this exercise. Nobody questions me. I've never once have had a student say, but Alex, you just said we right. shouldn't do this. They all just yep. go ahead and do it. And I, <laughs> I, I have them send me their results and I graph it for them every year, and every year the results are identical. Really? Wow. Right. They're all judging the speakers in the same way, and it's consistent from year to year to year. It's a really powerful exercise, mm-hmm. right? Because uh-huh. these are students who now think that they've become enlightened mm-hmm. and that they've learned, and yet they fall into that trap the second the opportunity presents itself. Right. Right? That's true. So so, so these are really hard things, and, and, it's, and in saying that, it's not even as though I'm innocent. No, none of us are. Right? I mean, we all yeah, do no. these things, but it's a matter of bringing it to the forefront and realizing that that's what we're doing when we do it and then stepping back from that. Right. Yeah. Right? Wow. I mean, I guess I should not be surprised, but I would have thought there'd be at least some variation, but I guess not. I mean, we're all, I mean, all your students are probably more or less from the same generation and <laughs> same like makeup, racial makeup, et cetera. So, I mean, not yeah. like each one, but like each group as a whole. Yeah. And I mean, and I've got a, I've got a, a an RP speaker. Mm-hmm. I have a Newfoundland speaker, which in Canada is meaningful. Yeah. And, and I have sort of a, just a standard urban mainland general Canadian speaker um, and these are recordings that Sandra Clark gave me. So Sandra Clark's at Memorial University of Newfoundland. She gave me these recordings after I finished my master's degree. So I've had them all this time. And I and I use the same ones every year. Mm-hmm. And it's spectacular. I mean, every year the RP speaker is the most intelligent but the least funny. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised by that at all. So now that you say th- what the groups are, I'm like, okay, yeah, I would have the same judgments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I I can literally like overlap them, all the graphs one on top of the other, and there's very little variance. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. so even the degree to which they're rated doesn't shift. Right, that's amazing. But it's also like kind of, I don't know, if there are people out there that listen to the podcast and they're feeling kind of down on themselves because they keep doing these things, it's just reflecting how we all do it. Yeah. It's so deeply embedded. We're all just trying to be a little bit less of an asshole by like noticing these things. Noticing why we're why we're noticing why we're judging them the way that we do. I mean, that's all we can do. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because this is stuff that we grow up on, right? I mean, it's so imbricated in our cultural dialogues, right? We, from the time you understand what people are talking about around you, you're hearing judgments, right? Yeah. So, so it's part of the cultural fabric, and that's really, really hard to undo. It's really hard, yeah. It's right? Really hard. I'm not saying it's right. No. Right? I'm not no. giving us a pass, but I'm saying this is the context in which we exist. So then, yeah. And so then you begin to recognize that. Then you start to catch yourself and then you start to step back from that. And, and with luck, uh, judge a little bit, a little less harshly. Right? Yeah. Especially, I think too, like the worst judges, the worst judges, the most judgy people are, are I've, in my experience are fairly well educated. Folks, oh yeah. By far. Oh yeah. Right? Who, who then hold everybody else up to this standard whereby if you're not if you're not producing the, the the right variety that 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 says really negative things about the speaker yeah right which is so embedded in privilege yes yeah. absolutely right and reproduces class distinctions and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and so so i think that once once we realize those things, then we can sort of step back and say, oh, yeah, well, there, but for the grace of God, like, I, I can have these, I can have these ideologies only because I've had the good fortune to have been whatever, right, born into this kind of family, educated in the following kind of way, have the following, you know, skin color, like all of these things are things that factor into it. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. we're way off the mark from like, but I mean, it, it, it's, all sense, it's all the same. No, it's, it's all yeah, related. It's all related. Yeah. <laughs> it's all related. Speaking of being way yeah. off of, of like, <laughs> when you brought up Memorial, mm-hmm. it reminded me that you and I have had very overlapping <laughs> scholarly careers, and yet we never met until January, this last January. You and I were both at UBC for our bachelor's at the same time, but I guess you were in, in the English department and I was in linguistics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You went to Memorial for your master's. I went to Memorial for my postdoc. You went to University of Toronto for your PhD. I went to University of Toronto for my uh, master's. So <laughs> it's like two ships passing in the night. <laughs> That's hilarious. Two Canadian ships. Two yes. Canadian ships. Yeah, like those are ultra Canadian ships. I know. Those are uh, yeah. so Canadian. Yeah. I know. What is it? Bodie McBoatface. I mean, we just... <laughs> One of us was at the... What are the ends of the boats called? Anyway, one's at the stern, one's at the whatever. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so so bizarre, right? I know we should have we should have met ages ago. You know, the funny thing is, when I was at UBC, uh, I took my first linguistics class and I hated it so much. I swore I would never do linguistics again. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this, right? Yeah, I know. I hated it so much. Never, never again am I doing linguistics. (laughs) You you can't. You can't do an English language major and not do linguistics, it turns out. And they sucked me back in. Who was the, the professor? I, you know, I forget. It was not a regular faculty member. Oh, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. It was a, a recent PhD. Okay, that would might be mm-hmm. why. <laughs> from, from a program that we have in common. And, uh, <laughs> and I did not like it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. At all. Uh, but also part of it was I think I didn't really understand what linguistics was and I was thrown. Um, and the way they do it at UBC, UBC, you should think about this. Uh, the way they do it at UBC, or at least in those days, was it was the second year course that was the required one. Yeah, that they've changed, but, I think. Oh, have they? Yeah, because they had first year courses and there were all these kids at the front row. It's a huge class, one of those classes with, you know, 200 kids in it. And all the ones in the front row had taken the first year course, 
But now we were in the intro course, and so most of us had no background. And they sat up front and they asked all of these questions that seemed really advanced to me at the time. And the prof was super excited by those questions, and so spent all his time answering them, which just left me feeling alienated. And I thought, I don't get what this is about, and I don't like it. Oh, that's interesting. Anyway, yeah. But I remember my TA. My, my TA was Darren Flynn. Oh, Darren. That's awesome. And he's the only thing I liked about that course. The, oh. the tutorials were awesome. All right. Shout out to Darren. I have, I was lucky. So I started off in engineering my first year. So in my second year, I was like really grateful that the first class was actually second year level. <laughs> so I had um, uh, Dale Kincaid as my fr- first professor. And he's a very, he was a very strict man. But I, you know, it just like really appealed to my math brain. And I was just like, yeah. this is it. This is what I want to do. <laughs> I am here. <laughs> this is my people. <laughs> That's hilarious. So we obviously didn't take that course in the same year. Well, yeah, or didn't have the same person, at least. Yeah. Are there any other questions you want to ask, Megan? No. Um, I think we covered like the we covered a lot of bits. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like you, you've you've said some great bits that. We're going to do pull quotes of mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, why this is important or what we're doing when we're judging like. But are there any like closing thoughts that you have for the listeners about like or about um, taking these gendered views of language or anything like that? <laughs> well, so I guess on the gendered thing, I would. What can I add? I mean, <laughs> if you start judging a young per- a woman for the way that she's talking, you know, I would say bite your tongue and start mm-hmm. start trying to pay attention to men of the same cohort. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if they're not doing it at all, maybe then maybe you have an argument. And even then, I don't think you do. Yeah. It, as soon as you want to blame a woman, sh- step back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Just, you get off. You get off that high horse. But then, yeah. But then the thing with like is, I, I the thing with like. Is it is so subject to the recency illusion. We've yeah. noticed it, it's increasing, therefore it must be new because in my day people never did this. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> no, there's the thing with language. I mean, as linguists, this is what kills me. As linguists, we know this, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing just comes from nowhere. Right. Everything has, must necessarily have evolved somehow within the language. It's very rare to just have spontaneous things erupt. Right. So, okay, if you're not a linguist, that might not be something you're aware of. Mm -hmm. The thing with language, though, is that it is on this continuous evolutionary pathway. Mm -hmm. Like any complex adaptive system right i mean you just they're constantly moving they're constantly reshuffling and so if you think something's new it probably isn't right what has probably happened is that maybe it's becoming it's possible it's becoming more frequent it's possible that a particular social group has decided to to co-op that when i say decided i don't mean in a conscious way but but different groups use different linguistic resources as part of identity building and signaling who they are in group membership so it could be that that's what's happened but it's very rarely the case that something is genuinely new in the sense of happening in the last five ten years right right 
Especially like, not like. Like is no, <laughs> at like least is as old as I am. Even those ones we hate, that particle in the middle of sentences, no, that goes back to the to the 18th century. Right. It's step off. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, this is great. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And, this is and- fun. And it's very fun. It's always fun. Yeah. Yeah. And um, we always leave our listeners with our final thought, which is don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. (laughs) Don't be an asshole. (laughs) All right. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Like totally whatever after Taylor Molly. In case you haven't realized it has somehow become necessary for old white men to tell me how to speak. They, like, interrupt a conversation that isn't even theirs and are like, speak like you mean it. And, like, the internet is ruining the English language. And they, like, put my parentheticals, my likes and ums and your nose on a wait list. Tell them no one will take them seriously in a frilly pink dress or that makeup. Tell them they have a confidence problem, that they should learn to speak up like the hyper-masculine words who are always the first to raise their hands. Invisible red pens and college degrees have been making their way into the middle of my sentences. I've been crossing things out every time I take a moment to think. Declarative sentences, so-called because they declared themselves to be the loudest, most truest, most taking up the most space, most totally white man sentences, have always told me that being angry has never helped like anybody, has only gotten in the way of helping them declare more shit about how they'll never be forgotten like ever. It's like F. Scott Fitzgerald and Ernest Hemingway were geniuses for turning women into question marks. It's like rapes. It's like rapes happen all the time on campuses, but as soon as John Krakauer writes about it, suddenly it's like innovative nonfiction and not like something girls are like making up for like attention. And it's like maybe I'm always speaking in questions because I'm so used to being cut off. It's like maybe this is defense mechanism. Maybe everything girls do is evolution of defense mechanism like this is protection like our likes are our knee pads our ums are the knives we tuck into our boots at night our you knows are the best friends we call when we're walking down a dark alley like this is how we breathe easier but I guess feelings never helped anybody I guess like tears never made change I guess like everything girls do is a waste of time So welcome to the bandwagon of my own uncertainty. Watch as I stick flowers in your punctuation mark guns. Because you can't just challenge authority. You got to take it to the mall too. Teach it to do the bend and snap. Paint its nails, braid its hair, tell it it looks like really good today. And in that moment, before you murder it with all of the poison in your like softness, you let it know that like this, like this moment is like, um, you know, me using my voice. The Vocal Fries podcast is produced by Chris Ayers for Halftone Audio. Theme music by Nick Granham. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Vocal Fries Pod. You can email us at vocalfriespod at gmail.com.